Good morning. <clears throat> we'll get back to this, but what a, what a great way to end. Oh, God, be my everything. Be my delight. Be Jesus, my glory, my soul satisfied. We'll come back to it. My name is Jeremy Watkins. I'm one of the elders here at Fairway Baptist. We have, currently we have four elders, three of us active, one of them on sabbatical. Scott is our lead teaching elder and full-time pastor. And then uh, David Mailer is also uh, an elder. And then uh, Mark Carter is on sabbatical right now. Um, We're convicted that we should share the pulpit and not wear Scott out. And so we know that churches will take on the characteristics of the person or people leading the church. We know that God expresses himself himself in different ways through different people. So we want to make sure that we're sharing the pulpit and that we're, we're giving the congregation as full a view of Christ as we can as we teach and as we lead. I'm going to, this morning, do a sequel to the last sermon that I preached. I'm sure you all remember it very well. So I'm going to have them put some trivia questions up on the screen for you to yell out at me. That, why is that so funny? <clears throat> I'm kidding. I'll give you a refresher. So last time I preached, talked about a few different people asking a question of Jesus. And his response to them, two of them were disciples, James and John, came to him and said, do do for us what we ask. And he said, what do you want me to do for you? And then we we followed that story out. You'll have to look it up if you want to see what happened there. And then they went on down the road. There was a blind man who was calling out to Jesus, and Jesus asked him the same question. What do you want me to do for you? And two different results there. And then I ended the sermon by asking you, What are you asking God for? And then about a week later, somebody's like, what are you asking God for? And I was like, I'm not sure that I'm asking God for anything. So you should know that when we preach up here, we're also preaching to ourselves. And I was glad that that person came and asked me what I was asking God for. I still can't answer the question, except for the general things of give me wisdom Make me a man after your own heart. Help me to lead my wife and my children well. The things that I ask for all the time. But not a specific prayer request. So today this is a continuation of sort of what are you asking God for? And maybe are, are you asking God for anything? So we're going to be in three places this morning. If you'll turn over to 2 Kings 20 and mark that spot. Then we're also going to be in Matthew 6. You could turn over and mark that spot. Oh, sorry. Matthew 7. (laughs) Then Matthew 6. I'll tell you again. Then Romans 8 if we get there. If we don't get to Romans 8, I'll assign it as homework. How's that sound? So I'm going to make a statement 
going to back up the statement with scripture, ask a question, then answer a question. I'm going to do it three times, okay? So let me get to where we should start. <clears throat> First thing I want to do is I want to read a, a very interesting story. <clears throat> Second Kings 20, 1 through 6. You've probably heard this story. <clears throat> In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die. You shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Now, O Lord, please remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him. Turn back and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day, you shall go up to the house of the Lord and I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria and I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. And Isaiah said... Bring a cake of figs and let them take and lay it on the boil that he may recover. We'll stop there. What an interesting story. I don't know if that's been your experience, but it's not common, doesn't seem. So the first statement here is, with that as our backdrop, God hears our prayers. God is omnipresent. God hears our prayers now, as I said, I'm going to make a statement. I'm going to back it up with Scripture. Ask a question, answer the question. So here is the backup for God hears our prayers. Psalm 65, 2 says, O you who hear prayer, to you all men come. Psalm 34, 17, the first part. The righteous cry and the Lord hears. Proverbs 15, 29. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. John eleven forty one, 41, the second part to the first part of 42. Father, I thank, thee, thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. We even have an account of, in Exodus, God even heard their grumbling. So I have a question for you. What is prayer? God hears our prayers. What is prayer? Let me give you some definitions here. From the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, about the most notable source I could find. Prayer is spiritual communication between man and God in a two-way relationship in which man should not only talk to God but listen to him. Prayer to God is like a child's conversation with his father. We've heard that before. It's like a conversation Don Stewart from the Blue Letter Bible. Prayers talking to God. It is our way of communicating our thoughts, needs, and desires to Him. It is an avenue that God has provided for the believer of making known the deepest feelings of our heart. And then finally, prayer is the elevation of the mind and the heart to God in praise, in thanksgiving, in petition, and, in, and for the spiritual material goods we need. 
prayer is doxology, praise, thanksgiving, confession, supplication, and intercession to God. I actually have another question built in here. Please forgive me. And what do we pray for? As a side note, I looked this up. The only thing I could find was, the most current thing that I could find was 2015. How weird is that? But there was a study done. 62% of Americans prayed prayers of gratitude and thanksgiving. And you see where you fall in these buckets. 61% prayed for the needs of their family and their community. 49% prayed for personal guidance in crisis. 47% their own health and wellness. 24% prayed for their nation or their government. And then I, I also found this. I'm not really sure what it means, but among Americans who pray, have you ever prayed for people who mistreat you? 41%. Your enemies, because it's commanded in the Bible, right? 37%. It's going to get interesting. Winning the lottery, 21%. Success in something you put almost no effort into. <laughs> 20%. That's funny. Like, just throw up a prayer and see what happens. No one to find out a bad thing that you've done. 15%. God to avenge someone who hurt you or a loved one. 14%. Your favorite team to win a game. 13%. Bad things to happen to a bad person, 9%. Finding a good parking spot, 7%. If you're like me, that prayer for a good parking spot's legit. I'm always running right up to the line of when I'm going to be late. Not getting caught speeding, 7%. Success in something you knew God uh, wouldn't please God, that's interesting, 5%. Someone's relationship to end, 5%. Someone to get fired, 5%. Someone else to fail, 4%. Luke 6.45 says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I would, I would suggest that that's where prayer comes from. It's out of the overflow of the heart. We'll go there next. So I ask you again, what do you pray for? God hears your prayers. What are you praying for? Are you praying for anything? Because he's listening to the righteous. Believer in Christ, he's listening. He's waiting. He hears you. Wants to hear you. God heard Hezekiah's prayer. Statement number two. God knows our hearts. Or our desires. God is omniscient. Knows everything. There's the statement. Here's the, here's the backup. Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. If you've been a Christian for any number of years, you've heard that scripture before. <clears throat> we like to focus on the desires of your heart section of that verse. But there it is. Psalm 94, 11, The first part. The Lord knows the thoughts of man. That they are a mere breath. Psalm 44, 20 through 21. 
If we had forgotten the name of our God or extended our hands to a strange God, would not God find this out? For he knows the secrets of the heart. We need to get scary. Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10, you may have heard this too. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? We typically stop there. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruits of his deeds. 1 Samuel 16, 7, very popular as well. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance, speaking of David, or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. Not of David, but his brothers, Saul, maybe. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And he's talking about David's brother. Luke 16, 15. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. God knows our hearts. He hears our prayers. He knows our hearts. He knows what's in our hearts, not just how our hearts work. He knows you individually, specifically, your heart, my heart, and what's in there. There's a question What is a heart? Is it tissue that pumps blood? Surely not, right? The literal translation, we do get the word heart from it, or cardia, is desires, passions, perceptions, thoughts, understanding, reasoning, purposes, and will. There's a lot wrapped up right there. the effective center of our being in the capacity of moral preference. It's a desire producer that makes us tick. Uh, Piper calls it our heart. He refers to it as a desire factory. And it's generated from desires, passions, perceptions, thoughts, understanding, reasoning, will, our own purposes, all wrapped up together who we are. John Flavel, a Puritan writer, said this, The heart of man is his worst part before it gets regenerated and the best afterward. It is the seat of principles and the fountain of actions. The eye of God is, and the eye of the Christian ought to be, principally fixed on it. God should be fixed on it. We should be fixed on it. The greatest difficulty in conversation is to win the heart to God. And the greatest difficulty after conversion, sorry, let me reread that. The greatest difficulty in conversion is to win the heart to God. And the greatest difficulty after conversion is to keep the heart with God. Would you agree? Here lies the very force and stress of religion. Here is that which makes the way of life a narrow way and the gate of heaven a straight gate. Those of you who have people who you're praying for, or maybe you've shared Christ with, maybe you have people in your life, you you probably look at them and think, 
the hardest thing to do is to get them to understand the gospel and submit and commit to it. It would seem that even people who I've seen come and sit here on Sunday morning and hear wonderfully preached sermons that should strike the heart, you think it's the hardest thing to get the heart there. And those of you who have walked with the Lord in life into Christian maturity quite possibly have seen too that it is the hardest thing to keep the heart in close proximity to God without being choked out by the cares of the world or the struggles of the world or the sufferings that we endure. The Scottish writer John Eady says that the heart belongs to the inner man, is the organ of perception as well as emotion. It's the center of spiritual life as it is physically of animal life. Like you couldn't live without your heart physically, and you couldn't live without your heart, cardia, spiritually. We perceive, and then we understand, and this is the process. Then we reason, we reason, and then perhaps we emote. We have emotions about that reasoning, and then we purpose, and then we act. And it's all, it all comes from the heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. NIV. What is the condition of your heart? Where is your heart right now? Where do you find yourself? What do you struggle with? God knew Hezekiah's heart. And his heart was laid bare. It's laid bare before us here in the scripture. God hears our prayers. God knows our hearts. And then the last statement is that God gives good gifts. God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. You'll turn over to Matthew 7. In verse 7 through 11, we'll read together. Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives... And the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be open. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven, who is in heaven give good gifts or good things to those who ask him? So the question here is, what is good? So here's, here's the answer. Okay, <laughs> this is going to take a little bit of work to unpack to show that God gives good gifts. 
And the key word here that we want to look at is good. And there are two words in the Greek that mean good. One of them is agathos, and the other is kalos. So we'll just talk about agathos first. Agathos means intrinsically good or inherently good in quality, but with the idea of good, which is also profitable, useful, that which is benefiting to you or others, that which is benevolent. It's marked by or disposed to doing good. Agathos is one whose goodness and works of goodness are transferred to others, that which is beneficial in its effect. Can you think of, maybe as you think about your children, children, some good things that you are transferring to them that are beneficial, but they can't necessarily see it. They can't necessarily see the benefit in doing chores, getting up on time, being respectful, speaking directly, They can't necessarily see the benefit in disciplines that you have them going through. They can't necessarily uh, see the the benefit in the discipline that maybe you have to administer to them. Then there's the word kalos. That which is intrinsically by or in itself good... But for its beauty, because it's handsome, because it is shapely, because it is magnificent. Essentially, because of what we perceive, what we see with our eye, what we hear with our ear. This kalos is what we would look at and would be pleasing to us at first glance. Some examples of kalos. Now, I should have told you, <laughs> the, 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 uh, the backup for the statement that God gives good gifts is found in Matthew 7, 7 through 11. If you then are evil, know how to give agathos, good gifts, those which are beneficial to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give Good gifts, agathos, beneficial gifts to those who ask him. And then some examples of kalos, Matthew 3.10. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit, beautiful fruit, pleasing to the eye fruit is cut down and thrown into a fire. Matthew 5.16, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works, kalos, beautiful works, and glorify your God who is in heaven. Mark 9, 50, salt is good. It's beautiful. It's tasty. But if the salt becomes becomes unsalty, with what will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. The Lord gives not what is appealing, but what is beneficial. He hears our prayers. He knows our hearts. And he gives good gifts. He gives those things that are beneficial. 
So um, it's been years ago. I was working at the endoscopy center, and I can't remember what the thing was at the time. I think it was a tsunami, and I can't remember where it was because I'm old. But we were talking about it, and uh, we also at the same time we were going through uh, what's the Keller book? Um, is it Knowing God, the apologetic book that we went through in book club? No, you're way off. Yes, you're right. I don't know. Reason for God. Thank you. Appreciate that. Elliot, one point. Everybody else, zero. <clears throat> if you want points, you have to be bold. The reason for God. So we were going through this book, and it was interesting in our, in our book study for a bunch of men, believers, uh, you know, Christian conservatives, it was easy for us to agree with this book. And then a, a, a lady at the Indo Center, we were talking one day and we were talking about, well, she actually had come to my office and was talking about a terrible, terrible tragedy that she learned about that her cousins that she spent a, long time, a lot of time with growing up had shared with her just recently. She had no idea. Terrible, terrible abuse. I was so convicted that we were looking at this, the reason of God, for God book and thinking, why can't people just get it? Why can't people just experience things and then turn and praise God? And she made this statement later when I was telling her about the book and kind of my reflection on the book and reflection of her testimony and said, she said, the same thing that could push someone away from God is the same thing that could draw someone to God. Is she right? She's absolutely right. And I think where the story of the tsunami came in there, she, she brought that up talking about uh, a story of a, uh, of a mom who had her baby ripped from her as the tsunami was, well, the tsunami waters were rising and uncontrollable waters that took many lives. The same thing that would push someone away is the same thing that would draw someone to God. I have an illustration here, too. Uh, I don't know if many of you know, but Sarah lost her dad when she was young. Her mom and dad were married at about the age of eight. Her parents divorced, and then about three or so years later, her dad um, took his life. It was traumatic and tragic and terrible. And years later, when Sarah and I got married we began to kind of put the pieces together. I want to say this in boldness. God gives good gifts. And I know Sarah hated it. I know she hated being raised uh, in a single parent home and not having her dad. And the kindness of God to her was that he gave her two very specific adopted families who showed her the kindness of God and the truth of God and walked with her. At a certain point, God gave me, that's a joke, gave me and my family to her. And the beauty there is that I was raised in a, in a loving home, a Christian home with two loving parents and a dad who taught me how to treat and to love people. We're all the way we are because of where we came from. Believe me. And God put me in that home for a specific reason and then gave me to Sarah. And then she had to train me. 
okay? I'm just going to be honest, all right? So ladies, you who are young and you who are older, you know you have to train them, right? They don't come that way. And then God gave us three babies in September and a nephew by Sarah's brother. And my dad's born in September. And Andy was born on my dad's birthday. And Sarah lost her dad in September. And I would say this too, the benefit that we see today is that I guarantee you Sarah is a more committed and conscious mother and wife because of, the, because of the good, beneficial gift, not beautiful, not pleasing to the eye gift that God gave her. And that's hard. God hears our prayers. He knows our hearts. And he gives good gifts. Um... You're still there. Turn to Matthew 6, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And here is the punchline. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, And all these things will be added to you. What are you praying for? Back to the disciples and the blind man. What are you praying for? What are you asking God for? God heard Hezekiah's prayer, God hears your prayers. And then I would ask you, what has God given you? Dave said in Sunday school something to the effect of the more we know God, the more we love God, the more we are able to walk with him in sanctification. What good gift has God given you that you don't really know or see the goodness in? Where has God placed you? What are you struggling with right now? Where are you at in life? What are things that you're contemplating? What has God given you? God gave Hezekiah a good gift. Did you know that Hezekiah had no children until 
God extended his life. His wife was barren. He had no children. There was no heir to the throne. And then do you know that God gave him a son, Manasseh? And did you know that Manasseh is considered the most evil king to ever live, to ever rule in Israel? But that Manasseh was an extension of the line of David that led to Jesus, that led to you and me. Where's your heart? God knows your heart. He wants your heart. God knew Hezekiah's heart. And he gave him the gift in spite of him, not because of him. Hezekiah didn't have any special connection with God that you and I can't have. He didn't pray any kind of special prayer. He didn't cry especially hard. God knew his heart. God knew what he needed and God gave him a good gift. So back to, oh God, be my everything, be my delight. Be Jesus my glory, my soul satisfied. Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. What a great, what a great, great thing to sing and pray. Oh Jesus, be my delight. Because when we make him our delight, he hears our prayers, the things that are coming out of our heart. He knows our heart and he begins to shape and shift our hearts to align with his heart and with him so that our, our desires become his desires. It's kind of a tricky verse there, isn't it? Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. When you delight yourself in the Lord, your desires become his desires. And then they're one and the same. And of course he gives you the things that he desires that you desire when you desire his things. One more scripture. Praise team, could you go ahead and make your way back up here? If you'll turn with me to Romans chapter 8. And we'll read verses 18 through 30. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And don't you hope and long for it too? For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we, are saved, we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. 
but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those who he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Okay? The spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words when we don't know what we ought to pray for. And I would start over at the beginning and say again, God hears our prayers. He knows our hearts. He gives good gifts. And he wants to connect the knowing of our hearts and directing of our hearts so that we see the goodness of his gifts and the things that he's done in us and for us when they're confusing, when they don't look beautiful, when they're not tasty, when they don't feel warm. And so I would encourage you again, I would ask you, what are you asking God for? And I would ask you, are you asking God for anything? And then I would tell you, please petition him. He wants to hear from you. He wants for you to ask him for things. And here's the beautiful thing that happens. As you begin to ask him and as we ask him and pray to him, church, he begins to change our hearts. And he begins to shift us into the right things to pray for. He begins to change the desires of our hearts. Let me encourage you in that this morning. As we go to God in worship, would you pray with me?